Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Heaven is not about what's there, transparent walls and, and uh, pearly gates. It's not even about what's not there, death and pain and suffering and no more sorrow and no more tears. But heaven's about who is there, those that we have loved that have gone before us and Jesus. And the veil's going to be lifted. The Bible says we're going to know even as we are known. We might think and wonder a lot about what heaven will look like. But the reality is, heaven's not going to be about the place or what it looks like, but more about who's there and who we will be with. When we finally get to be with Jesus, it will be the fulfillment of everything we wait and live for. We are studying through the book of Hebrews. Stay with us for today's encouraging teaching out of chapter 10. Here's Robert Furrow. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. We really do thank you that we can gather together here as a family. Knit our hearts together. Help us to get to know one another, love one another. And Lord, let us be the people you want us to be. We thank you for the work of the cross. We thank you that we have been sanctified and purified and perfected by the blood of Jesus. We pray that we would walk away from this with a good understanding of this section of scripture. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is A Trip from Heaven to Earth. Now, we all eventually want to make the trip from earth to heaven. We might not want to make it right now, but we do want to make it. It reminds me of the story that I heard of a Sunday school teacher teaching a five-year-old class. And he asked the kids, how many of you guys want to go to heaven? The majority of the kids raised their hands, except for one little boy. So the Sunday school teacher said, Johnny, why don't you want to go to heaven? He said, I do, but I thought you were getting a group together to go now. <laughs> we all eventually want to go, or most of us as Christians come to the point where we are disillusioned and rightfully so with this world. Most of us as Christians come to a point where we say, you know what, I am no longer in love with this world and I want to see Jesus. I want him to come back for me and I can hardly wait to get to heaven. And I think for those that are in heaven, they don't want to return. We might resist going to heaven, but for those that are in heaven, they don't want to come back. Chuck Smith has said for years, if I die and you pray to bring me back, I'm going to punch you in the nose when I get back. <laughs> now, I love that. You remember in the Bible, there was a guy that came back. There was a woman who was a medium. She was a psychic. She was a spiritist. She was someone who said, I see dead people. And Saul, King Saul, went to visit her and said, bring back for me Samuel. Now, she was a fake. She was a fraud. She didn't really see dead people. So when she said, she went through whatever seance was, and God sent Samuel to her. So all of a sudden, she saw a dead person. She started to scream. She's like, come back, dead person. Ah! She sees this dead guy, and she says, I see a dead person. And uh, King Saul says, well, who is he? And what does he look like? And she gave the description, and it was Samuel. And so then Samuel said to Saul, these are the very first things he said, why are you bothering me when you are in the presence of God and you make it back to the earth? Your first words are, what? Why am I here? It's been three months, just a, just a touch over since my wife passed away. A year and a half. It's only been a year and a half since we found out that she had cancer and our world changed forever. You remember that in September, she taught the woman's retreat. On October 30th, Halloween, she went trick-or-treating with the kids, and then she just took a turn. 
And by December 15th, she was gone. It had happened so fast. We knew that the threat was there. We had made some decisions and all evidence of the cancer had been removed for a while. But when it came back, it came back with this, with this vengeance and it happened so quickly. And in a way, it's a blessing that it happened so quickly. And in a way, it's not because it happened so quickly that I thought I'd have a lot more time. Well, a couple days after she had passed, I had a, a dream, I had a nightmare that she appeared to me in the dream and she said, look what you did to me, angry. Look what you did to me. And I woke up from that dream and it was, it was tough. About three weeks later, I went to San Diego. Now, I probably should have never taken that trip to San Diego because me and Lisa spent a lot of time there. That was kind of our little place. We would go to Coronado Island. We would go to La Jolla. We spent a lot of time in San Diego. And I went with a buddy of mine. And all the, I'm, I'm like, I was like the biggest downer in the world, okay? And he had a lot of understanding, but it was really tough. And, and that night, I found myself just asking God to give me another dream. Because the last dream that I had of her was this, you know, well, look what you did to me. And I thought about when she said that, I thought about all the decisions that we had made. We had to make decisions about treatment. We had to say, not that treatment, but this treatment, let's go with that and let's not go with that. And let's do it. We had to do that. And I found myself thinking, if we'd have done this, would she still be here? If we'd have gone this direction, would she be living for a couple more years? And, and, and I found myself struggling with that. So I, I prayed, Lord, just give me another dream. Just give me one more. And uh, that night I didn't have a dream, but the next night I did. And in that dream, she was sitting and she was looking forward, had her legs crossed just like she would. And she was looking forward and her face was glowing. And she looked at me and she smiled and she said, you're crazy. <laughs> now, I could take that from God that God was saying, I'm insane. See, if you're really insane, you don't know you're insane. That's one of the things about being insane. You don't know that you are. So maybe God was saying to me, you're insane, Robert. No, she was saying, you're crazy if you think that you did this to me. If you're crazy, if you think that you could have changed what has happened. And then she turned away from me. That's all she said. You're crazy with a smile, turned back up front as if she wasn't interested in me anymore, as if she wasn't interested in the things of this world anymore. And she focused back in on what she was looking at, which I couldn't see, but her face was glowing again. Now, two months later, I get a call that Lisa's dad is on his deathbed. I make arrangements quickly to go to Cedar City, Utah. And while I'm on, getting on a plane in LAX to go to Vegas to drive up to Cedar City, he passes away. I get a text that he passed away. I got there, worked with the family some, and a few days later, we took him up to a small town in Utah and we buried him there next to his sister and his, and his parents. And as I was standing at his grave, I read Psalms 34. If you can get there really fast, turn there. It's a race, so if I get there first, I'm just going to start reading, all right? And I am, where am I? I'm not there. You guys are probably going to get there before me. I've beat every other group of people. Okay, I'm there. All right, you guys are good. All right, you guys are fast. You guys are better than any other service because you beat me there, and I did it to all the other ones. All right, so I'm reading Psalms 34, and here's what I read, verse 4. When I got to verses 4 and 5, I read this. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. They looked at him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. And as I read that, I couldn't help but think of the dream that I had. Now, I'm not saying that Lisa came to me in that dream, okay? I'm not saying that God let her come to me and tell me I was crazy, okay? I'm just saying it was a dream. I don't know what it was all about. I don't know the behind the scenes. It's just a dream that I had. But I couldn't help but think about her face being radiant, that as she looked at him, her face was radiant. 
And I think about heaven. Heaven is not about what's there, transparent walls and and, uh, pearly gates. It's not even about what's not there, death and pain and suffering and no more sorrow and no more tears. But heaven's about who is there, those that we have loved that have gone before us and Jesus. And the veil's gonna be lifted. The Bible says we're gonna know even as we are known. The Bible says that we look in a mirror dimly, but then we are going to see face to face. And we will suddenly know Jesus completely. And I think we will be more in love with him than ever before. That's what makes heaven so awesome. It's about relationships. I I understand that now more than I ever have. And I used this example before. If I told you that I was gonna buy you a trip to Hawaii, I'm not. But if I told you that I was going to, but there was one catch. You had to take the person in the world who bugs you the most. And you can't ditch them once you're there. You got to hang out with them. Very few of you would choose the trip to Hawaii. Last service, I asked people, how many of you would choose Hawaii? People raised their hand. I don't understand it, but maybe they don't have anybody that bugs them. Maybe it's just me. Nevertheless. Or I said, there's another choice. You can take the person you want, the one person you want to go on a trip with, you can take them and I'll send you to Bisbee, Arizona for a little bed and breakfast. The vast majority of us in this room would say, Bisbee, Arizona. I don't want to go spend several days in Hawaii with the person that bugs me the most. Doesn't mean you don't love them in Christ, okay? But it just means they bug you. That's all it means. I want to go to Bisbee with the person that I love. That's heaven. Heaven is about whom we love. And so when you're there and you're in the presence of Jesus and those who have gone before, you're not going to want to make the trip from heaven to earth. But Jesus did. Jesus came from heaven to earth. We sing that song, right? You came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. It was a round trip. He came to this earth, even though he was God and full of glory, he became a baby, born to a teenager who was a virgin, laid, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. And this God who created you and me and the universe became reliant on that teenage girl, had to be changed. He became a man. Isn't that amazing? He took that trip from heaven to earth. Now, that is what chapter 10 in the book of Hebrews is all about, about this trip that Jesus took from heaven to earth. And I've broken it up into three parts. First of all, in verses one through four, we have the primary reason for the trip. There was a reason that he had to come to earth. The first four verses tells us what that reason is. Verses five through 10 tell us the purpose foretold, that before it ever took place, we were told that it was going to happen. And verses 11 through 23 tell us the promised results, or it's the application. It tells us because he came, this is what is true about our lives. And I got to say about this last section, it is so lofty. The truths are so incredible that it's hard for us to get our minds around them. Have you ever experienced that before? Something about God that is so incredible that you just have trouble wrapping your mind around it. I think that's the case here. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit will help us really grab a hold of some of this. So we start in verse 10, the reason that he had to take the trip. It says in verse 1 of chapter 10, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with the same sacrifices 
which they offer continually year by year, by year, by year, by year, by year. That's not in there, but my paraphrase. Make those who approach perfect. Two words stand out in verse one, the law and sacrifices. The law, the Old Testament law that was given on how you are supposed to live. It could tell you how to live, but it could not empower you to live that way. I can learn from the law that I'm not supposed to covet, but when it comes time to covet, it doesn't give me any help in not coveting. In their day, they would have their old rundown donkey and they would see the guy with the new sleek donkey and they would covet it. <laughs> they knew they weren't supposed to covet their neighbor's donkey, but they did. And the law gave them no power to covet it. That's what it says, right? It says, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's donkey. That's the actually example. We don't think about that today, but we understand a car instead of a donkey, don't we? We've come a long ways from donkeys to automobiles. And I'm glad too, by the way. Now, it says that in the very end of verse one, that it cannot make those who approach perfect. The law and sacrifices cannot make you perfect. If they did, if you were made perfect by sacrifices, if when you brought a bull or a goat or a ram or a lamb or a turtle dove or sacrifices and they made you perfect, then you would not have to make them anymore. You would be perfect and it would be the end of it. That's what he says in verse two. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Had they made you perfect, sacrifices would have ceased. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. Not only could the law and sacrifices not make you perfect, but they cannot purify you. Bringing a sacrifice to God. In the Old Testament, you sin. And so you go and you get a, a lamb. Now, this poor lamb, think about that. How real would your sin seem to you? You're like, you blow it, okay? You try not to yell at your kids, okay? And all of a sudden you scream at them. And once you're done, you say, I gotta go get a lamb. Go grab a lamb, take that lamb. Down. Sorry, I sinned. You take that lamb down and you give that lamb to the priest and the priest cuts the throat of that lamb and kills it because of your sin. How real would sin be to us today if animals died because of it? What if your dog had to be killed if you said, I sinned, I'm sorry, God, here's my dog. Better yet, what if it was your cat? No, no. I like cats. In a little teriyaki sauce. Okay, that's it. That's, I won't go anywhere. That's it, okay? Now, I'll never get us back to our main point, will I? So the point is, had sacrifices been able to perfect you, had sacrifices been able to purify you, then you wouldn't have to bring a lamb again and again and again and again. All that bringing a lamb, a goat, a ram, a bull, all it did was stop God's judgment for a while. You sin, here comes judgment, here's an animal, pause. It's like you hit the pause button. The problem is you got to hit the pause button again and again and again and again at home. My television, I can pause it. I'm watching whatever I'm watching and I pause it because I got to get up and do something. But it only pauses for 10 minutes. I don't know why. It's preset. So after 10 minutes, it goes off. So I'm back in my room. I'm doing whatever I'm doing. And I come back out and the show's been going for a while. Great. The show's been going. So if I really want to watch it, then I got to pause it, come back out in 10 minutes, unpause it, pause it, come back out in 10 minutes, unpause it, pause it, come back out in 10 minutes, unpause it, pause it. Now you say, why don't you just record it? I don't know. I'm an idiot. But <laughs> the reality is recording it doesn't fit my analogy. All right. So 
I'm pausing and repausing and repausing and repausing. That's what the sacrifice is dead. I sinned, here comes God, pause. Here comes God, pause. Here comes God, pause. Here comes God, pause. And for 1,500 years, they gave thousands of sacrifices every year. During Passover, we're told that there was a river of blood that flowed from the top of the Mount Moriah on the Temple Mount down into the Kidron Valley every year at Passover because so many animals lost their lives. Now, not only could it not purify you, verse 2, could not perfect you, verse 1, but verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Every time you brought that sacrifice, every time that poor little lamb or goat or bull or ram or turtle dove lost their lives, it was a reminder of your sin. It told you how bad sin was. And then verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. You can't be purified. You can't be perfected. You're reminded of sin all the time, and it can't take away your sin. It can only cover it up. It can only hit the pause button, and you got to hit it again and again. You got to keep offering it over and over and over again. Because of these weaknesses in the law, because of these weaknesses in the sacrifices, Jesus had to come. Otherwise, we'd still be giving sacrifices. If sacrifices were the answer, then we'd be going to some kind of a temple structure and we'd be, again, bringing our animals with us. Hopefully not our cat or dog, but some kind of bull or lamb or whatever. Now, in verse five, we have a therefore. And anytime there's a therefore, you want to find out what it's there for. The therefore here is there because of a major change. The law was weak, couldn't perfect, couldn't purify, reminded you of sin, doesn't take away sin. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Therefore, Jesus had to come from heaven to earth. He had a body prepared for him. Now, we don't know what that body looks like. Do you know that we have sculptures and paintings and pictures of people that lived long before Jesus, but we don't have one picture, painting, or sculpture of what Jesus looks like. We're never even told what his description was. In all the writings that were written about Jesus, nobody ever said he had sandy brown hair and he had brown eyes, and right? Nothing. And so when people play Jesus, it's interesting. We've got this show out now on National Geographic, right? On the Bible. And we're coming up on Jesus. And do you know that they have more people watching the show than they ever even dreamed they could? And that their polls tell them that more people are gonna watch Jesus than are watching now in the Old Testament? People are compelled by him. He's a compelling person. And the fact that people have pulled away in the world from him, they don't wanna talk about Jesus, they don't, all of a sudden makes people more and more interested. There's a whole generation of people who have never heard the story of Jesus. And they're gonna hear it. I just wish that they wouldn't have used the surfer Jesus or the hippie Jesus, right? Because that's who we've got. Now, he may do a great job. I haven't seen it. He might do a great job and I might end up saying in the end, you know what, he did great. I just wish one time they would choose a Jewish Jesus. That's all. Just one time, a regular looking Jewish man to play a Jewish Jesus because he was Jewish. He wasn't a European playing a Jewish part. He was Jewish. And the Bible says, there was nothing about him that we would be drawn to him. In other words, he wasn't a super good-looking guy. 
I don't think he was ugly either. I think he was average looking. Now, we want him to be good looking and striking. I even heard a preacher say one time, Jesus was 6'4 and 220 pounds. <laughs> really? Well, why do you say that? And he went on to describe the burial procedure of Jesus and that they packed 220 pounds of spices around him and that they used one pound for one pound of body weight. And so that's how they did that. So you say he's 6'4 and 220. How do you know he wasn't 5'2 and 220? <laughs> That'd be a whole different shape, wouldn't it? And you might go, how dare you speak of Jesus that way? It wasn't about what he looked like. It was the body that was prepared for him that he would be able to give that sacrifice. A body was prepared because sacrifices couldn't purify, sacrifices couldn't make you perfect because they reminded you of sin and because they couldn't remove sin, right? He then goes on to say in verse six, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have no pleasure. God took no pleasure in those lambs, rams, or goats that died. In those sacrifices, there was no pleasure by God at all. God didn't look at him and go, oh, good, more rams, more lambs that are going to be killed. However, Isaiah 53 says, it pleased the father to bruise the son because those things were just temporary. But Jesus says, is permanent. That's why we don't have to have a person coming every year and giving their lives for us because he did it once and for all. It goes on to say then in verse seven, then I said, this is Jesus speaking before he came. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Everything in the Old Testament speaks of Jesus in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying verse eight, sacrifices, offerings, and burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Sacrifices and the law have been stopped because he came with the cross. He takes away the first that he would establish the second. He goes on to say in verse 10, by that will, that is the will that he came to do, the Father's will, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We are sanctified by the body of Jesus once and for all. What a contrast. You had the, the sacrifices, pause button, pause button, again, 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 1,500 years, thousands of animals every year. How many animals were sacrificed for the sins of Israel? But Jesus came and we have been sanctified. What does the word sanctified mean? Set apart. Out of all the people of humanity, when you said, Lord, come into my life, God reached down and took you and set you apart. The Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there are that go that way. And the Bible says narrow is the way that leads to life and few there are that go that way. But you guys, you Christians, me, we were chosen by God and set aside out of all of the people on the earth. And because God gave us a chance, choose you this day whom you would serve, choose God and live. And out of all that humanity, there are some people who go, I don't want to follow God. There's some people that hate God and they shake their fist at God. <laughs> Little person among all these other people, I hate you, God. <laughs> but then there's us that go, me, 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 me. And God takes us and he sets us apart 
because of the sacrifice of Jesus that was given once and for all. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.